Welcome to episode 281 of No Challenges Remaining, A Woman Speaks Out and Tennis Stays Silent. I'm Ben Rothenberg. I'm recording this on Friday, November 6th from Washington, D.C., a day on which it now appears almost certain that one guy will be moving out of town, another guy will be moving into town in a couple months' time. I have spent almost the entire last eight months in Washington, but I did venture out more than 10 miles away from home for the first time during this whole quarantine phase last week to drive up to northern New Jersey to meet Olga Sharipova, known as Olya, to her friends to hear her story of what she says was a pattern of abuse, what she calls physical and emotional violence, from her ex-boyfriend Sasha Zverev, the recent U.S. Open runner-up who has been groomed as an heir apparent star in men's tennis for years now. I found Olya's story to be incredibly compelling and powerful, and I was very grateful to my friends and colleagues, Dave and Caitlin from Racket Magazine, who gave it all the space it needed to tell her story and do it justice, and to establish the pattern of controlling behavior she laid out, which resonated strongly with so many readers. The story is linked in the description of this show. It's not an easy read by any stretch, but I'm glad that so many folks are taking the time to read it and hear her side. Zverev, meanwhile, has all but refused to comment pretty much on her allegations, just putting a short statement on Instagram, or two-part statement. The first part was about his other ex-girlfriend who's pregnant. A statement on Instagram basically saying that Sharipova's allegations were simply not true, was his words, and questioning sort of her timing in announcing this. The ATP perhaps most importantly, it's been completely silent on all of this, ignoring requests for comments or questions, or even acknowledging whether if they might be investigating Sharipova's accusations. So to discuss this silence, I'm joined in this episode by John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated and 60 Minutes, a longtime friend of NCR, who led off his mailbag column this week with a discussion of the Zverev story that'll also be linked in the show description, and why this should not be considered a quote-unquote he said, she said sort of story. So to get into this whole discussion and the ramifications of it and lessons for tennis and so on, here is my chat with John Wertheim. John Wertheim, thank you for being on here. We are recording this on around 9 a.m. on Friday morning, and just a couple minutes ago, Joe Biden pulled ahead in Pennsylvania, and he was pulled ahead, I think, late last night by a little bit in Georgia, which reminded me, or was thinking before, about your your tweet comparison. What do you think about the comparisons between the Electoral College and, and tennis scoring? Is this Does being a tennis fan prepare us better for the, for the weirdness of American democracy? Yeah, in the sense that uh, we, we understand that data groupings uh, can, can be fraught and that um, the same way in tennis, you, you have to win the right points, not just the most points. Right. It's, impo- you know, it's entirely possible to win more points and more games than your opponent and uh, and lose if your opponent's winning the right points. I made that uh, I sort of foolishly on the eve of the election uh, was saying, you know, this is the, the 2019 Wimbledon final and, and Djokovic is winning the electoral college, but not the popular vote, which of course, uh, you know, uh, this suddenly became a referendum on the politics of Federer and Djokovic. But no, I, I think uh, it's a pretty good analogy, actually, the, uh, the electoral college to tennis scoring. Yeah, usually in tennis you don't win by four million more points and then and then lose the match. That's that's rarer, but you know, somewhat less margin for error. But look at the percent. You know, you could yeah. you could uh, fifty one to forty nine. That, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but no, it um, it's this is the uh, 
you know, Simpsons paradox. No, I mean, I, I, I love this stuff. And I think the same way you could argue with tennis scoring system, we're seeing some of the shortcomings of the electoral college, but no, this is, a, I think it's a pretty good analogy. I mean, this is, this yeah. is a match where, uh, you know, one, 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 you, you win, but whatever. One, one, six, seven, six, seven, six. And uh, yeah. a lot of love holes by Biden on the West coast, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and where I am, I'll, I'll have, you know, and you too, yeah. you as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's not evenly distributed sets here. No, definitely not. Good analogy. We we could run. No, we we could we we yeah. Well, the uh, main topic of this show is less less fun than such uh, comparisons. We want to talk to you about a co- uh, topic that I wrote about and for Racket Magazine this week, and you led your mailbag off with this week for Sports Illustrated about uh, the allegations against Sasha Zverev, uh, who's been accused of repeated domestic violence by his ex girlfriend Olga Sharipova. And I guess first thing, I guess general sort of. Take this where you want, John. What was your first reaction when you saw this? I guess her post on Instagram, and, and how do you sort of process this sort of thing when it comes out about a an athlete? Um, I mean, you you say an athlete, and I think it's it's interesting because it really varies by sport. Yeah. And uh, these were serious serious allegations. This was someone who had a lot of specificity. She had, you know, it wasn't evidence per se, but she had a lot of documentation. There's somebody with contemporaneous knowledge. Um, you know, I, I wrote about it to your immense credit. You took it further and spoke with her and interviewed her and talked to her directly. And I thought that was, uh, it was, that was really a fine piece of journalism. Just get out of the way and, and let someone tell their story. Thank you. And, you know, I mean, I think, I, I mean, we could take this any of a number of directions. I mean, I think this highlights how tennis and its structure and its governance is different from other sports. I can tell you that in other sports, if you have this fact pattern, it doesn't mean guilt or innocence. I mean, just if you have this set of facts, the response from the league would be a lot different. Tennis doesn't really have league and they don't have the same structure as basketball, football, baseball. I mean, it it would not even be a close call that uh, we would have not just a statement, but we would have an action by the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. They all have domestic violence policies that, you know, Mm. pull off the internet. They've been negotiated tennis doesn't have that and i think it's a real shortcoming and you know this, this does not require ethical hawkeye you know this this is not uh <laughs> not, not even a close call you have a woman making very serious allegations with a lot of specificity and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of institutional response which honestly is like let, let alone sort of legal just morally i, I don't think makes tennis look particularly good yeah so let's let's start on that side which you which you start with about the atp i mean does atp need you think to to enact a domestic violence policy like these other uh, other organizations have is it possible with the sort of tour structure versus you know collective bargaining type situation to do that and 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 that's just sort of is that something that i mean because we've seen this in i mean well also earlier this year there was charges against I and mean, these were actually more formal court charges against nicholas mm-hmm. in in may filed by his ex-wife in georgia mm-hmm the country and uh nothing happened there either he kept playing on tour all throughout the season playing pretty badly actually losing pretty much every match since the resumption but playing does it's something that has to be just much more you think written in black and white about what to do about these things in, in terms of either making it whether you want to have it be contingent on needing and we can get to this part later i guess also too but needing some sort of uh, formal police action on it or not does it does it does it because even even with police action there's still some seems like wiggle room it all seems like if it damages the game, it's this sort of vague uh, 
inter- wiggle room they leave themselves in the in the rules as they're written. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like let's leave legal action out of this for a second because yeah. other league policies, you know, they're, they're honestly there are times when the alleged assailant prevents the victim from calling the police, and mm-hmm. there's no you know there, there's no nine one one call. They're not charges that are filed, but the leagues will still look into it because there is. A credible allegation. I, you know, I, I think we have to ask, what, why do these policies exist? We'd love to think it's for moral reasons, and uh, we don't want employees that uh, beat up their, you know, spouses and intimate partners. There is probably more crassly business justifications that these teams yeah. that, uh, you know, ma- management, the teams don't want labor, the players, um, you know, soiling the brand. I mean, there's there's a business reason for this. And so what happens? Well, the two parties sit down and this becomes one of the many issues that get collectively bargained between the league, i.e. the teams and, and the players. Tennis doesn't have that. I'm not sure what, you know, I mean, you'd like to think this would happen just because it's, it's the right thing to do. And you have players facing these allegations. It doesn't mean they're guilty. It doesn't mean, you know, that people sort of are running to presumption of innocence. And he said, she said, that's not really what it's about. It's you have a, a very serious allegation against a player. I, I think it's relevant that this happened um, per, per the allegation during tennis events. You know, mm-hmm. this, this happened, uh, you, you could almost argue in, in the scope of employment. And I'm not sure, you know, you'd like to think the ATP would say, listen, it does not do us a lot of good to have these allegations out there and have one of our top players uh, facing these and not take some sort of stand here. Um, I'm not sure what, you know, the, the players likewise, you'd like to think like the guy I share the locker room with, uh, it would be great to have some sort of process where, you know, we, we have some adjudication yeah. here, we have some investigation here, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm not sure the, you know, there's, there's nothing in the ATP rules. I mean, Zverev could be suspended, but there's nothing specific to domestic violence. And I mean, again, I think we're seeing one of the shortcomings of tennis's structure. It's not, employer employer employee it's not labor management it is this kind of uh joint venture between players and owners tournaments and what we have is uh, a player facing a pretty serious set of allegations not legal yeah. allegations but they're still allegations that um is, is going about his business as if nothing happened and the tour isn't doing anything to step in either and i don't think it necessarily helps i mean well maybe i mean the zero case is one but i think a an accused player in general is not necessarily helped by there being sort of no process for even them to point to. If, you know, Zverev, if, if, it, if an accused player like Zverev in this case could say, look, ATP is looking into it, I'm just playing while I can, and there's some sense that there's some sort of action going on, I think that people might be less up in arms about him continuing to play tournaments. If there was any sort of f- more formal cloud over him, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say... I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, I think in the in the tennis player's defense, this isn't a typical sports league where there is a guaranteed salary. There's a contract. Um, mm-hmm. I talked to one NBA executive who said, "Listen, if this were basketball and you had a woman making these sorts of claims publicly with this level of specificity, you know, he would likely be provisionally suspended with pay." Yeah. If the ATP says to Zverev, listen, we're going to conduct an investigation, but you can't enter a tournament until we have a conclusion. That's, you know, there's no guaranteed salaries in tennis. So I, I understand from a player's perspective why you would, you know, wh- why you'd want to negotiate this or why you'd be reluctant to remove yourself from competition. But, I mean, it's just, it's not a close call. I'll give you, th- this isn't an athlete, but two years ago, um, 
I had a woman come to me who said that she was sexually, you know, sexually harassed and probably assaulted by the owner of the, uh, the Carolina Panthers football team. Mm-hmm. Before the story came out, the team announced that they were conducting an independent investigation. And then before the story came out, the NFL took it over from the team. Hmm. So, I mean, again, the, the allegations that have been made that were repeated that you yourself uh, were, were witness to. It's pretty remarkable comparing this to other sports that it doesn't appear as though the governing body is going to intervene and a, a player can essentially say no comment. The tour, as we speak, I don't believe has made a comment. It's pretty jar. I got to say. They haven't even formally said no comment. Yeah. No, I mean, like yeah. when, I, when, I, when I emailed them, I was like, hey, here's you know some allegations. Uh, do you guys have a domestic pol- violence policy that I'm maybe not aware of? And, and basically, and, and what are your comments on this, on these things and, and they're playing? And, and they basically sent like, like, hello, Ben, free information. Here's this page of the rule book, which is this super vague, you know, conduct unbecoming to the sport, basically clause. And I responded, I didn't get a response to this. I was like, I was like, thank you for your response. But this does not actually answer anything in my question about right. if you're investigating or if you have a domestic violence policy. And the answer to get that, all I can infer is no and no. You would think if they were doing an investigation, just to sort of move things along, they would say, they were maybe they are behind closed doors. I don't know. It's it's an interesting sort of test for this new regime in the ATP, um, which has had a lot of tests this year. My God. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. Well, that's that's the whole. I mean, I think between the the new regime, COVID, and all the challenges of, of an international sport with no union, uh, you know, it's it's easy to see how uh, you know this is the last thing they needed. I, I just think it's really. I mean, this is not obscure policy. I mean, people no. should if people are interested. You know, there are Wikipedia pages devoted to athletes in every sport that have faced sanction because of domestic violence policies. I mean, you can read these policies yourself. These are public documents. And the other sports, at least in the U.S., were very public about this. And there were press releases. And these were drafted in conjunction with the union. I mean, they really sort of did a victory lap with these policies. Um, You know, in some cases, this was after the Ray Rice scandal. In some cases, this was... In, in the wake of me too this is not obscure this is not sort of uh obscure clauses to a lengthy collective bargaining agreement i mean these, these yeah. are fairly standard and uh i think if, if nothing else maybe the atp says listen we we really need to address this and it was not obviously an active player but they did have a little bit of a potential for embracing this more during the whole kimmel stop saga last year year before that um yeah just in I mean, terms it, of off off yeah. off you know mm-hmm. away from job conduct really being an issue and that was there were charges in that case um yeah i mean you know let's it wasn't domestic violence but yeah again there was no you're trying to tell me there's nothing in your bylaws that says if a board member is facing criminal charges maybe he needs to take a leave i mean i think some of this goes to just the look do do you guys want to be a legitimate sports league or is this going to be this sort of right clubbish boys club because you know this isn't just sports i mean I would think mo- most professional organizations would have some sort of policy for what happens when a board member is facing criminal charges. Yeah, no, and I think that's, there's no yeah. policy there. No, this sort of bush leagueness of it, I think, is pretty clear in mm-hmm. terms of just like tennis, as you know, in, in Bud Collins's, I think, is when it said like uncharitable uh, phrasing, said like tennis was born in corruption and never grew out of it. Um, but I think that but another way is just sort of born like disorganized and really has not ever formally had somebody come in and really, you know, Try to put actual structure and bylaws on it. It's still sort of making it up as it goes along in some way. And this is just something where, um, 
yeah, like you said, this is not such an out of left field scenario that that an an athlete is accused of domestic violence. It happens in right. all sorts of sports, unfortunately. Um, in some ways, it's surprising yeah. it has taken this long to come to tennis. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's an element of this. I mean, I think I think first of all, going back to what you're saying, if if you're not going to do the right thing for sort of ethical reasons, is there not a business justification to yeah. Clean clean this up and sort of you know remove allegations. This is JV stuff. I mean, you think if, if nothing else, there would be business reasons to professionalize this a little bit and uh, have you know have more policy for situations like this. No, nobody looks good when these stories come out and there is silence. If, if you're not going to do these for the ethical and moral reasons, yeah. There's there's still other incentives that would would have you uh, improve on this policy. I mean, I I do think that that's a good point you raised. That you know, for for as crazy as a sport is, and for as much as we, you know, talk about what would improve it and what the defects are, you don't have a lot of this. So I mean, I think some of this is getting caught flat-footed because, you know, what what do we usually talk about for a for a player's transgression? Nick Kyrgios uh, popped off on Twitter, and um, you know, we we have lower level match fixing, but. And racket breaking, even. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he smashed rackets, and um, he, he ran out of challenges and got really upset. It's and and I heard from a number of people, sort of out of the blue, and you know these were private conversations, but players and agents basically saying, "Whoa!" And and it really, to me, st- struck me that tennis doesn't really deal with this. I mean, if you're if if you're in the NBA, the unfortunately the the notion of a player committing an act of domestic violence. I mean, Major League Baseball's had more than a dozen players sanctioned under this policy hmm. that's only a few years old. So I, I think tennis got caught flat-footed, I think, just because we're, we're not used to these kinds of allegations. Usually, uh, you know, c- controversy in tennis is, is Nick Kyrgios sending an ill-advised tweet. Um, we're not used to stories like this, especially from the very, very top players. Yeah, no, the one the one ATP player who I spoke to, I talked to, who messaged me after reading my story, um was yeah like like you're sort of super surprised and taken aback and just sort of and said and said that you know he only re- that he'd seen the instagram post from her and it was harder to follow but that reading it all laid out changed his mind a lot and so yeah i'll be interested to see what how people how players react but also i guess and the other thing is one way in a crude sort of economic sense how the market reacts because Zverev, as you noted in your columns i've heard as well his adidas contract is up at the end of the year so he'll be theoretically in the market for a new clothing sponsor. What do people, is, is that a way that he can sort of face what amounts to sanctions or consequences uh, in this moment? If he's out there wearing Kmart clothes at the Australian Open. Yeah. And um, I mean, there, there also is per- perception and colleagues. And I suspect if this were an event that had conventional media, if this were an event where the WTA was on site as well. I, I would be very curious to see what the reception would be. But, you know, I mean, again, I, I credit you with your reporting and I credit uh, the the accuser. I, I'm, you know, I'm a little reluctant to call her, uh, you know, it's, it's semantically we, we have to be a little bit careful. But mm-hmm. that was a that was a very full story. And that also I'm sure people picked up on this. This had a lot of familiar hallmarks for these situations. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're dependent on me financially. I have the money. You don't. The whole business with the travel documents and, you know, Sasha has my passport. Again, these are allegations and he has every right to rebut them. But that was an awful lot of specificity and way too much and way too many 
sort of typical domestic violence signifiers, I think, for the ATP not to have any sort of statement. I mean, we, we can talk about whether there should be an investigation, what that should look like. We can. That's sort of step two. The fact that this has gone completely unacknowledged and you go to the ATP's website and, you know, there's, there's not a whiff of this. It really, to me, sort of lays bare what the structure of tennis is and what some of the uh, holes are that need to be filled. I mean, this, this is really not, not a good look. You mentioned how the ATP website could handle it. One thing that's already come under some scrutiny or criticism is how TV commentators should handle this. I mean, Zverev is still playing on this week. This is, he's in the quarterfinals today of the Paris uh, Bercy Masters event. Um, and, and you're, and you, John, you've been in this, in these situations more and more. I don't know how many, I don't mean in terms of this sort of storyline, but being with on a tennis panel with people who are former players or not journalists, I think it's fair. And I don't think they would mostly call themselves journalists, the former players largely. Um, how, how should people be talking about this as you, as you're calling a, a such as Verev match on, on tennis channel or Amazon prime or wherever else is airing in the world this, this week, how should, how do you think commentators should, should address this or, or allude, mention this or, or not, or how, how does it fit? They're, they're in a tough position here. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's an athlete that is performing and uh, again, he's entitled to certain, uh, you know, there are certain presumptions that that we give people in these situations, but I think you have to allude to this. I mean, I, th- I think it's an act of uh, malpractice not to, and um, you know, again, these are, these are named act, you know, these are lengthy allegations. I think it's relevant um, that this happened during, you know, during sanctioned events. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I went with, there's a sidebar about whether, you know, Labor Cup has been dragged into this now. Well, you know, Labor Cup is uh, technically an ATP event. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I mean, he's, he's performing, you know, Kobe Bryant, this is not something unique to tennis, of course, you know, Kobe Bryant would, fly from his depositions to games and score 50 points and everyone would talk about his powers of compartmentalization. And right. I, I mean, I, I think you, you can't not mention it and it's a balancing act that we're, we're always going to have. And it's not, again, this is not something unique to this situation or uh, unique to tennis, but you can't not mention it. And yeah. um, I mean, you know, I mean, a, a lot of, at, at some level, no, nothing, Nothing should surprise us at all about uh, social media and the, the tribalism of sports, but I I do think to to me uh, that the silence is more remarkable than anything else. I mean, I, I would think, especially in 2020, you, you would have with a uh, you know with competing simultaneous with with women so many weeks of the year. I, I'm not surprised people have said she's a gold digger, and she, I mean, it's like uh, Dasha Gavrilova's tweet uh, made clear. You you have to brace yourself for some backlash here and it's he said she said it's none of your bit you sort of that that you dismiss yeah. to, to me the silence has been more jarring than noise i agree the sort of you can handle the occasional twitter trolls but when it's uh mm-hmm. institutional sort of exactly. silence that's that's rougher i want to I get to the sort of that he said she said dynamic of this because this is something that's what you let off your your bullet points on their uh, column with you said these are serious incredible allegations and as a few of you suggested that this is a he, uh, she said he said is really misguided uh, this is and these are your words she made a detailed allegation backed by supporting documentation has a friend who offers a contemporaneous account and he responded clumsily in the same post in which she confirmed that a different ex-girlfriend is pregnant with his child it's it's sloppy and wrong to suggest that these are two competing accounts that will somehow cancel each other out and and i guess that's it's like a sort of journalism question for you then i guess john more than anything 
when you have, you know, I don't know what people expect him to say unless he's going to admit this. That would be sort of, but I don't think he's going to do, that would make it feel like it was on, on an even plane in terms of fact pattern or, or who to believe. Because he's, he's also been given multiple, multiple opportunities to expand and to talk about this. And through his team in press conferences, on his Instagram, I guess. Um, how, how comfortable do you think people should feel with a sort of one-sided account like this? And is that is that necessarily a problem? If it even is one-sided, I uh, guess. Yeah, I, I, I welcome an independent investigation. Yeah. But to, to tack this on to an Instagram tweet that comes after you have, I mean, it, it was the second item of two. Yeah. And there were just some strange lines. You know, we've, we've known each other a long time as if that somehow, you know, uh, undercuts an allegation of, of domestic violence. We, we broke up a long time ago. I mean, it was, it was such a strangely worded sort of clumsy statement. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot and, you know, he can, he can obviously you respond however you want to. I mean, he's, he's free to uh, craft whatever response or not respond at all. But um, again, that was a lot of detail in those Instagram posts and talking to you added additional detail and you can sort of see the, the images yourself. I and mean, I think we need to separate, quote, evidence which I'm not sure this is from from documentation. I mean, yeah. you know, that was that was very clearly the carpet of the Players Hotel at the U.S. Open. I mean, there's a lot there, and you know, I, I think tacking this on to one joint statement, the first part of which having nothing to do with this, I, I thought was, um, you know, a, a curious PR strategy. But um, you know, I, uh, I I condemn domestic violence in the strongest terms, and I welcome an independent investigation. Yeah, um, they're they're certain. Certainly alternatives to what he put out there. There was no allusion to, no even token domestic violence is bad mm-hmm. line in there, which would have, I think, gone a long way to at least feeling like you're connected to reality on what you were dealing with here. Um, in terms of other players mentioned this, do you think other players, Gavrilovi mentioned it, sort of, she was the first and way ahead of the curve in terms of speaking out in solidarity with Sharapova. I'm not sure if she knows her from Russia. It's, it's entirely possible if they were around the same age growing up in Russian tennis circles. Um Nicole Gibbs yesterday also spoke out. Do, do you think there's an, with the lack of institutional response, do you think it would be beneficial for more players, including ATP players, to speak up? And, and, I'll, and I'll add one more specifically to this. Uh, Roger Federer, who is sort of, you know, who's been grooming Zverev as a sort of, you know, heir apparent in a lot of ways, a teammate, and taking him along for these Latin American exo tours as his, as his uh, Washington generals. You know, like, is, does, is, is there a, is there a, um, in this, in this silence, this vacuum is created by the ATP silence. Would it, do you think other players have an obligation to speak up, or is that is that unfair to them? I think obligation is probably too strong a word. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would condemn players for not speaking up. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't. One of them is just you, you don't feel comfortable that you have full grasp of the facts. But um, again, I, I do find the silence strange. I mean, I think I think the the Roger Federer conversation you. We sort of enter at your peril, but I think, you know, look, if we're going to talk about this and report on this, honestly, they share a management agency as well. I mean, there's there's a relationship there and yeah. I'm not sure it's incumbent on Roger Federer to address this, but, um, you know, it there, there is a relationship there that is probably different from from other top players. Uh, this is where I mean, we can talk about the, the PTPA, the yeah. players organization that sort of uh, had this the, the great, you know, grandstand press conference and then sort of uh, has has vanished um 
this is a place where if you're if you're trying to become a full-fledged union this would be a place where a union might want to speak out one one way or the other you know we're we we defend our player and expect due process or we condemn this in the strongest terms i mean if this were other sports this is where a union would be involved and would have some sort of statement and you know i mean I, i think it's also relevant that the accuser you spoke to she has a background in tennis she i mean i don't i don't know and i don't know if you found this in your reporting but you know she was a has an itf junior ranking mm-hmm. she competed against I, I think she competed against i don't want to i i haven't uh, done all the research here but you know she she knows players she competed against these players as a junior she knows the tour mm-hmm. she's she coached by rublev's mom i mean yeah she exactly she's coached by, yeah exactly so. right so um you know this this is someone who to, to some extent is part of this culture and part of this workforce and part of this ecosystem she was out i, I correct me on this but was, was she not with uh with medvedev's wife the the night of the U.S. Open attack. That's what I've, oh, I've heard yeah. that she was with. I, I I've sort of need to triangulate that a bit because she. I know she was out with her friend Vassal, who's the one who I spoke to, and another friend, and they went to the Statue of Liberty the afternoon before this altercation at the U.S. Open. And I believe the other friend may have been yeah Medvedev's wife. Um, right. Um, I'm not sure. Well, she didn't get I, named. You know, she was in the story. Po- po- point being, this this is someone who, to, to some extent, is part of this fabric here, yeah. and and knows players, and knows the culture, and knows sort of the, the social norms of tennis. And again, that doesn't go to guilt or innocence necessarily, but I, I, I think I wrote, I, I think that's, that's a point worth considering here. And when I, when you talk about silence, again, this is someone who is, is knows and is known to active players. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's COVID it's election. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why players might not have spoken out more here. I, I totally get it. I mean, again, I, I don't think you can, condemn someone for not speaking up but just sort of collectively i am surprised that this um this has not been something that more players um male and female have weighed in on definitely you, you the last thing you said in your in your mailbag response was talking about how zverev um is likely to work on his serve this offseason and may want to devote considerably greater attention to a reputation in need of repair and yeah he said he's had a bunch of things this year you know, playing the match at the French Open while suffering symptoms that seemed COVID-y on the surface, at least from a distance, you know, with a fever and difficulty breathing, uh, and then obviously playing Adria Tour and then going home and uh, partying in Monaco uh, while he was, well, after he said he would be quarantining and put out a statement to that effect and then completely defined that, and he's in court with another former agent. I know my, my previous reporting uh, on him is not, some people mentioned this in questions about the episode, like has not endeared uh, me to him because you know he got mad when I because I, I was the one to put out the video of him in the summer mm-hmm. dancing in the in the in the club. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I what what can he do? Do you think to to repair his his reputation? Is that possible right now, or is it just something he has to live with? Yeah, I mean, look, an an allegation. Uh, we, we all we all hate COVID and we all hate uh, irresponsible behavior. I mean, this is these allegations are, uh, you know, significantly more severe than that. Right. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we, again, this, I, I, I can't stress this enough. None of this is unique to tennis. None of this in some cases is even unique to sports. But, you know, there, there's a reason why there are character witnesses. And there's a reason why prior arrests matter when, uh, when, when they're sentencing. I mean, re- reputations matter and prior behavior matters. And it doesn't mean he, you know, he's, he's guilty of these accusations it's, it's not a guilt or innocence thing but yeah right. I, mean, I think it's hard to divorce the fact that this guy has not behaved with a lot of responsibility or sort of r- regard for other people of late and uh 
that this comes on the string of some other really, you know, really regrettable headline. I, I can't, I mean, just sidebar. The, the, I mean, the video you posted was, was damning. I thought it was really shabby of him not to talk to you after that mm. um, and sort of gave some really regrettable insight into the level of uh, sort of cositing and detachment from reality as, as if, as if you, you had some uh, bearing on his bad well, decision-making. But I can't get over what happened to him at the French Open. I cannot get over that. And I cannot get over how other players were not furious about that. I mean, his behavior, the most basic reading of like the one-page document the players got before they if you have COVID-like conditions, you report them and you don't play. And he is very, very fortunate he wasn't positive. He could have easily have wrecked that entire tournament. And yeah. uh, I don't understand how – I mean, if they, talk about uh, comparisons to other sports. I mean, if, you know, if a player on the Eagles uh, behaved this recklessly, jeopardizing the NFL season, every other player in the NFL – his teammates notwithstanding would be condemning him. And, and to yeah. me, that sort of showed there, there is really more, you know, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's not, but there, there is more of a sense of, uh, of colleague than opponent because he very easily could have jeopardized that entire major tournament. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and, and that's where I think also the sort of players could step in and, and sort of try to control their guy on some level and just be like, Hey, you can't be giving us a bad name. And, and, and he really did. You know, we had another episode previously on NCR. If people scroll back through our feed to June or whenever the the video of him in Monaco came out, like basically just contemplating the self how selfish tennis players really are, all based on Zverev's uh, video in Monaco or largely based on Zverev's video in Monaco, which is you know contemplating if, if tennis players could be trusted to follow rules. And then Zverev again does this, and you're right, there is sort of in terms of character witnesses and fact patterns. I never previously to these allegations ever thought he was doing anything like this in his life, but I have seen him be you know, incredibly rude and, and nasty and cruel to people like in press conferences. If he, if there's a, you know, a local reporter, I remember one question in, in Rome last year, this local reporter, you know, sort of struggling through her English. I think she's probably Google translated a question that she's working on. And it was about like what it's like working with Lendl or something. And he's like, I've answered that so many times already. Like, pay some attention, which is after she like spent 30 seconds uttering out her question, which is like needlessly nasty stuff. And so, yeah, I, I, again, that doesn't make him guilty of any of these things, but it's just, he, he, yeah, he has work to do on, on winning people back and proving, uh, that he's, yeah, a, a, a good citizen of the tour, put it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, c careers are, you'd, you'd like to think that, uh, c careers are long and, um, there, there's ample, you know, he's 23 years old. There's sort of ample opportunity to, uh, grow up and, and make some amends and uh, claw back some, some goodwill here. I mean, they're obviously, they're, they're examples we can point to. I'm a little reluctant to go there just because uh, again, um, you know, being snappy with reporters or, uh, right. you know, so, some of the traditional ways in which players have rehabilitated their image don't include uh, allegations of trying to choke a woman with a pillow. But um, you know, I mean, I, your, your question as to, as to what can he do? Um, you know, I, I would sort of d divide those into various buckets. Um, certainly, it would it would be nice if he were more courteous in, in press conferences, but I think that's. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to put that at all on the level of this. I'm just. I'm just saying in terms mm -hmm. of seeing the glimpses of. I, I'd only brought that up to say in terms of the glimpses of his personality. Like I, you know, 
in terms of people who I've seen be just like mean and not, and he doesn't do it in a way that's at all like, you know, Andy Roddick bantery. He just kind of it comes off mean. No, no, you're right. And there's, there's, I mean, I, I always remember the, uh, well, I, I talked about that, you know, last week and you're exactly. like, well, you know, so, sorry, I wasn't in Budapest. Like, you know, right. not everyone's reading every transcript you've ever given. Um, I mean, I, I would turn this on its head though and sort of say, we talk about, you know, the image obviously matters in this sport for a variety of reasons. It's an individual sport. You know, players at the top make more money based on image and uh, endorsement deals than they do prize money. I, I would almost invert that question and say, can, can you imagine a player with sort of a, a worse set of circumstances? I mean, you sort of look at, uh, I mean, I, I can't, we, we talk about sort of players that you know victoria azarenka was sort of a, a sour major champion in australia i mean i can't think of anything remotely analogous to this in terms of mm. uh a, a severe situation involving a top a top player um you know a, again uh he sent, sent some ill-advised tweets is a completely different universe i can't think of an active tennis player and you know we, we you can find this in certainly in other sport you know quick from, from Michael Vick to Kobe Bryant, I mean, other athletes have had to deal with this, but yeah. I can't think of a tennis player in the middle of their career who's had a situation like this that they need to turn around from an image standpoint. Yeah, and and, and we'll see how it goes. And the other thing, I mean, from an image standpoint, one, I don't know if it's good or bad, if it would be cathartic for tennis fans or war, tennis community in this COVID time, he can't get booed. No one, when he's playing in, in Paris this week, and there's no sort of way for the public to weigh in in a traditional fashion to a problematic athlete of just booing or not or rooting for the opponent more than they would otherwise, whatever, however it would bear out. Um, you know, kind of stuff that like even like an Azarenka in a very different situation got, you know, after she had her dodgy medical timeout against Sloane Stevens in 2013, the Australian Open, that the crowd was wildly for uh, right. uh, Lena on that final. Uh, like well, I'll give you, uh, yeah, and I'll give you another one. She then had to go into uh you know she had to go into a press conferences where she was it wasn't a zoom call and it wasn't where she was asked a series of questions and there were follow-ups and people talked to her coach about it yeah i mean i, I remember you know patrick McEnroe and and uh her, her coach um you know discussing this on the on the flight home i mean there were mm. there were days and days of scrutiny uh after this incident and i think um i you know you hate to sort of put it in these terms, but yeah, it's it's really fortunate for Sasha Zverev that these are such unconventional times because uh I, I think you're right, from fan reception to um what what a press con what a conventional press conference would look like to you know maybe even co confrontation with his WTA colleagues. Uh this this situation plays out very differently if this happens in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Well everything's happening in twenty twenty. John, thank you for taking time in this in this weird uh, week and year and everything for coming on to discuss this with me. I really appreciate it. No, you got it. And again, I, th I thought um, that was really uh, you, that was it was a winning piece of journalism. So uh, oh, I commend you. you for that. Thank you very much. And and you continue to win as well. Sports Illustrated, sixty minutes, all good stuff. Thanks again. Thanks again. Take care. So thank you to John. Thank you to Olya Shripova for her openness and bravery in talking to me and others about this and thank you all for listening to the show this week and for reading her story if you want to follow on the show and you're not listening you can do so by following us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis we're also on send us questions comments no challenges remaining at gmail.com and if you want to support the show and what we do you can do so on our patreon page patreon.com slash no challenges remaining so we can find us there several new backers to thank since our last episode mary olson and director Dylan DeLuca, 
and then two backers who increased their previously existing pledges, Sherry Carita and Anna Villinder. So thank you to them. And since it's the first show of the month of November, we have a chance to thank all of our on-tour level backers, who we always thank on our first show of the month. And they are Anna Valinder, Shari Carita, Ken Solomon, Kathleen Sharkey, Danielle Hartzell, Horatio Silva, Annie Kim, Russell Baker, J.B. Wogan, James Hindle, Jillian Dobson, Helene DeWitt, Andrew, The Body Serve Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Steph Chow, Greer Millard, Brett Halsey, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Rumdwalv Wong, Kate S., Dermot Harkin, Jeremy Blackstock, and Lori Porter. So thank you to all of them. And thank you to our Patreon Slam Champ level backers we thank on every episode. Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Truong Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers who we thank, especially every episode, Mike, Charles Cena, Nicole Copeland, and J.O.D. Thank you to everybody for your support. Thank you for the support. I've seen a lot of support for uh, Olga on Twitter as well, and a lot of social media reactions. There's been negativity, obviously, which we'll focus on, but there's been a lot of positive, positivity as well, as hopefully this world gets better at understanding and believing and hearing out and listening to women. And on that note, to commemorate the yeoman's work of black women from Philadelphia, here's a bit of TLC to play us out. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.